0: That Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field.
1: Pre-game party this Saturday night ahead of D.C. United's next match. Register at waltersdc.com to receive one free old-time lager.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: the pitch swung on it belted a deep left field this is way back pro far to the warning track looking up going going and gone goodbye bang zoom goes Alex Cole on the fourth pitch of this game with his first home run of the year Zoraña into the wind here's the pitch and they drive in the air to deep right center field this is way back this ball is gone goodbye over the big wall in right center field and into the Rockies bullpen Back to back home runs, four pitches apart. Now the center of the pitch, swinging a line drive toward the right field line. That's a fair ball. It's going to roll all the way to the corner in the 350-foot marker. Rounding third, heading home is Thomas Abrams, speeding for third. He's in standing with his second triple of the game. And the Nationals add on here in the top of the fifth. It's now Washington seven, and Colorado two. And welcome to Nat's Chat for Saturday, April
0: eighth. 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Coors Field. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Now, that was more like it, and that was more like it in multiple ways. That was more like it in terms of an at's win. They improved to two and six with a 10 5 win at the Colorado Rockies on Friday night in game two of a four game series. And that was more like it in terms of a game. At Coors Field, off Thursday's one nothing Nats loss. Yes, a one nothing game at Coors Field. We on Friday night got the full Coors Field specialty. The Nats and Rockies combined for 15 runs, 29 hits, six walks. Each team used five pitchers. Yet still, the game was well under three hours, two hours 38 minutes. The pitch clock system is a beautiful thing. But uh, Mark, the Nats bats came alive. And I know to me, and I'm sure to a lot of people listening, more importantly, Mackenzie Gore impressive for a second consecutive start. A lot of good stuff from an ad's perspective on Friday night.
1: Yeah, this was close to a best case scenario for a game, you know, Al, for the Nationals right now. This is just about everything you could possibly want to see. I would say the only exceptions were a shaky seventh inning from Erasmo Ramirez that made the game a little closer than maybe they thought it should be, but turned out not to be an issue. And then Luis Garcia pulled up with a hamstring issue, but even that sounds like is not that serious. Afterwards, so all things considered, this is an outstanding night for them pitching wise. Certainly, hitting wise, the defense continues to be good. This was all around really nice for them. And I don't know if there's something about having Mackenzie Gore on the mound that gets the offense going. Maybe they feel like, hey, we give him a couple runs, we're in good shape. That's the way it's gone for whatever reason. Both times he's pitched. They've scored in the first inning and they haven't looked back from there.
0: Funny how that works. But yeah, I mean, for all of the offensive success on Friday night, I think Mackenzie Gore is the thing. Like that is the lead. And how about the Nats starting pitching in this series? Josiah Gray in game one, Mackenzie Gore in game two, your two young, promising starting pitchers in this rotation each guy pitching well in the uh, notorious hitter's haven that is Coors Field. But here we had Mackenzie Gore on Friday night, and for a second time in his many starts in this regular season, he was impressive. In fact, he was even more impressive in this outing. Two runs in six innings, six strikeouts. He gave up five hits, a home run, and four singles. Issued two walks, 98 pitches, 64 strikes versus 34 balls. His Four-seam fastball velocity peaked at 97.2 miles per hour per stat cast. The two boo-boos, bottom of the second, he gave up a leadoff homer to Ryan McMahon to right center field to cut the Nats lead to 4-1, 443 feet per stat cast. We told you this was a course field specialty on Friday night. And then Gore, in the bottom of the fourth, gave up a run on two singles into walk, including a two-out opposite field RBI single by Yonatan Daza into right field to cut the Nats lead to six-two, but overall, I mean, a lot of good stuff. More strikeouts from Gore. I mean, again, and I know you can't necessarily like quantify this, but he looks the part. Like he's pitching like a guy who believes in himself. It's so funny, right? He had this awful exhibition season. Ended it with a good outing, and so far in the regular season, he has looked like the guy who we saw in that final exhibition outing.
1: So here's what I like most about him, Al, and here's where this stands out from. Certainly, anyone else they have on the staff in the rotation right now. He's got a full arsenal. He throws the curveball and the slider in addition to change up. I don't think he threw any change ups in this game, actually. But what he does have is a fastball that can be a putaway pitch. He can end at bats with fastballs. That's not necessarily something we think of from the other members of this rotation. Corbin's going to go to his slider, Josiah Gray's going to go to the breaking balls. It's such a refreshing thing to see a guy who has a good enough fastball to be his put away pitch. That's what he has. And if you think about it, that's the classic power pitcher who has that ability. It's something that the aces of this team in the past have had. And it's why I do think he has the potential to live up to that and be a number one starter. He doesn't just have to get ahead of hitters and now try to fool them. He can overpower them. And he did that on several occasions in this game. That's a nice thing to see. He very much looks the part of a stopper, of a number one, whatever you want to call it. I know it's only two starts, a long way to go. He's going to face some more good lines, but he shut down the Braves and he shut down the Rockies at Coors Field. That's a pretty good combination to get your season
0: started. Hard to complain about that. And, you know, I was thinking about this before the game. So we know there's going to be some kind of a workload limit on Mackenzie Gore this year. What exactly it is, we don't know. Is it defined by innings? Is it defined by pitches? Is it defined by starts? You know, hard to say, right? But we know that he's not going to make like 35 starts this year. So whatever that final number of starts ends up being... His starts take on even more importance because there are, are, in theory, are going to be fewer of them than, say, for a Josiah Gray or a Patrick Corbin or someone who, in theory, isn't as restricted. You know, obviously injuries can change these things, but you get the idea. And so if he's only going to make, say, I don't know, 20 starts, 23 starts, 25 starts, whatever that ends up being— each start becomes even more precious, right? Not just because of who he is and what we want him to be, but because he's not going to be making, or at least he's not set to make, you know, 30-plus starts this year. So to see him do well in these things, like, really, it matters. You know, to say nothing of, like, how uplifting it is, how encouraging it is, et cetera. So it's great that he's, he's basically two for two. You know, like, to begin this season here, two starts, and he's looked good in each one. You know, we have seen guys in recent years with the Nats, since they got bad, maybe have a good start, but then have a bad start. You know, that's been an issue for Josiah Gray to a degree. You know, we even saw like, you know, Eric Fetty have good starts, but then, you know, struggled. If this guy can piece together, you know, four, five, six good starts to begin the year, that is so key. And that really has become this like desirable thing that this team has not had in recent years.
1: Right. And remember, this is what he did for the Padres last year. First nine starts, ERA 1.5 then he started to deal with the elbow issue. So it's not like he has zero track record. I know it's not a huge track record, but he has some. And so I I think it's entirely feasible for him to keep this up and continue to do this. He'll get a start against the Angels next week in the rest of the road trip. That's a very good lineup and some big name hitters. That'll be a fun one to see how he handles it. But you're right. He's two for two. And if we're going to combine him and Josiah Gray, as we know, like that's really what this season is about. You want it to be Gore, Gray, and Cavalli. It's unfortunately only the two of the three, but those two combined now, three out of four very good starts. The one, not good at all for Josiah's first time out, but very good the day before this at Coors Field. So for all the issues the team may have and their record isn't good, they're two and six and they got a lot of issues, but their two important young starters are three for four in putting together good quality starts.
0: And – You know, if this does end up being a really bad year, if Gore can have a very good season, I think that takes a lot of this thing away. Like, if you can at least once every five games feel like, hey, it's Mackenzie Gore Day, you know, and obviously if Josiah Gray can be a part of that too, that'd be great. I think that really can help to change the feel of this season if you are a Nats fan, if you have a young guy like Gore pitching like the Ace who we want him to be. So Mackenzie Gore, very good on Friday night. And (laughs) the Nationals offense in this game was outstanding. I mean, you know, baseball is amazing. and, And we all know how this goes, right? Like, just when you think you got it figured out, you know, it turns out that you know nothing. We all know nothing, right? And here we have the Nats could do nothing offensively in game one of this series, were excellent offensively in game two of this series. The final numbers, I mean. 10 runs, 19 hits, 4 walks. And no, the Nats did not have 19 singles in this game. Did have 14 singles, but 5 big extra base hits, 2 home runs, 2 triples, and a double. And how about the fact that the Nats began the game with back-to-back home runs? The Nats hit 2 home runs over the first 7 games. The Nats hit 2 home runs in 2 plate appearances in this game. And the Who is significant. Alex Call, another change at the top of a Davey Martinez lineup. Alex Call and Jamer Candelario back to back to begin the game in terms of home runs. Like, Raise your hand if you had that on your bingo card for Nationals baseball on Friday night.
1: Oh, I saw that one coming. You didn't see that one coming? No. Uh, It's funny. I talked to uh, Alex Call before the game about it, and he said, you know, you really can't change your approach for that. Davey thought it was a good matchup. Not necessarily saying, hey, this guy's going to be our leadoff hitter now moving forward. Although after the game, he admitted it's going to be really tempting just to go with the exact same lineup on Saturday and you can understand why he would want to do that. Although the matchup's a little different, they're facing another lefty, so that could change some things. But, you know, Davey is notorious for putting a guy in the leadoff spot to try to get them going. Most famously, Kyle Schwarber. Well, I don't think he expected Alex Call to turn into Kyle Schwarber, but you know what? Home run to start the game and then drew a walk in the next inning. Like He did legitimately set the tone for them and it was a nice thing to see. I don't know that he is the long-term answer necessarily there, but he's been given an opportunity, Alex Call has, and he's making the most of it. On base at 400, on base percentage coming into this game, and he got on twice more in this one. We saw last year he has some surprising power. I think he had five homers in limited playing time late in the season. That home run was a no-doubter. He also had a sacrifice fly later in this game. So there's something there, and it's worth trying to see a little more from him. But it is amazing just the difference. When you have these games where they're not getting a runner in from scoring position early on, it's like they tighten up and now it becomes a thing for the whole game. And Then when you have a night where they go up to nothing, two batters into the game, it's like, okay, everything's great. Let's just relax, go have fun, and they end up with 19 hits. They've got to somehow find a way for some more consistency and some middle ground between all that. No, you don't expect 10 runs, 19 hits every night, but you don't expect a zero either. And They have the ability to be more than that. We know that. Now, it's a good matchup. They're facing Urania, who was much easier to hit than Kyle Freeland was, but – You can still hit the ball with some authority, and they did that tonight, not just against Urania, but just about everybody that the Rockies threw out there.
0: Well, and this just felt like a more normal Coors Field game. I don't know what happened on Thursday, but that was like bizarro world for Coors Field. This was like the ball was jumping. I mean, the home runs were not, you know, 350-foot specials. No, these were 400-plus-foot blasts in this game. Calls went 410 feet. The Candelario home run— Four hundred forty-two feet. I mean, that was a shot by Jamer Candelario. And it's funny with him too, right? Because remember, he barely missed a home run in game one of this series with the nice catch by Jerex and Profar, but Candelario coming through with that home run right there. So we get the back-to-back homers to really get things going. Then we get triples. Yes, I said triples, as in the plural of triple for C.J. Abrams, he had not had an extra base hit so far in this regular season, but C.J. Abrams on Friday night as the Nats' number eight batter, three for five with a two-run triple, an RBI triple, and a single. Abrams in an Nats' two-run third, a two-out, two-run triple to the right center field gap for a 6-1 Nats lead. Abrams in an Nats' one-run fifth, a one-out RBI triple to right field for a 7-2 Nats lead. That was a two-run fifth, by the way. So a two-run fifth for the Nats. They scored two runs in the first, second, third, fifth, and eighth innings in this game. You know, if anyone needed an extra base hit, it certainly was C.J. Abrams. To see him get two extra base hits, one thing. Two run scoring triples, another thing. And obviously, he can do that with his speed. And Coors Field, you know, it's not just about home runs. A lot of extra base hits in Coors Field. And boy, did C.J. Abrams capitalize on that.
1: I thought the second one, he had a chance to go all the way. (laughs) The ball was bouncing around a little bit in right field. uh, And I think everybody in the ballpark had that moment like, ooh, could he go for it? And He he didn't. It was the right decision. Here's the thing. The triples are great, but all three of his hits were hit hard. They're all over 100 miles an hour. Exit velocity. He was hitting the ball with authority. This wasn't a blooper down the line that rattled around and he ends up with three bases. No, these were well struck balls, and he's now seven for his last fifteen, starting to hit the ball with authority. Like I think we had a sense that he could, and just didn't do that in the first few games of the season. He looks better. He feels more comfortable up there. He says he's hitting better pitches, so his pitch selection has been better. Only the fifth player in team history with two triples in a game. And I know you, I'm sure you remember the Denard Spann, Christian Guzman, Ben Revere games, but I know you certainly remember Bernie Castro doing it in 2006. I'm sure that one's etched in your memory of great moments in Nationals history.
0: It's funny. I saw that list get put out by the Nationals during the game. And it was like, If you ever remember Sesame Street, I have two young kids, so I now have been reminded (laughs) of Sesame Street, which one of these things doesn't belong here? Which one of these things isn't the same? There's a song, you know, a bit on Sesame Street. Uh, Mr. Castro would fit uh, that description uh, in that list. Yeah, I mean, again, that's baseball, right? Zero extra base hits over the first seven games. He has two in this game. They happen to be two run scoring triples. Like, okay, like makes no sense. And thus, it makes perfect sense. (music) Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate ruiz you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Calfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and health care. Even in the quote unquote slow first quarter of 2023, Mason Kalfas worked with three different lawyers who doubled the compensation their previous law firms were paying those lawyers. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years. In fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfis. He is Scott Boris-like when it comes to law firm partner contracts, and Mason Kalfis will negotiate you a new and better contract today. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535.
4: Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer and founder of the podcast. Here to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to your favorites shouldn't be so stressful. That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, D.C. United, or even the Drake concert this summer, GameTime offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance, Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
3: The 3-0. swinging
4: a drive toward the right center field gap. This is going to be in there. It's going to split the outfielders and go to the wall. Headed home Garcia. Thomas rounding third. He's going to score. Abrams is flying toward third. A headfirst dive and a two-run triple on a 3-0 pitch. C.J. Abrams clears the bases with a three-base hit, the Nationals' first triple of the season. It's now 6-1 here in the third inning.
0: You talk about C.J. Abrams looking better. I thought Joey Manessis looked a lot better. You know, we talked Manessis on the last show. Manessis in this game, starting D.H. number three batter, got on base four times, two for three with a double, a single, and a couple of walks. And these were, I thought, real quality plate appearances. Top of the first, an eight-pitch walk. Top of the fourth, a one-out infield single on what was a well-hit grounder to the Rockies shortstop, Ezekiel Tovar. And Manessis got the hit despite having been down at the count at one12 Top of the sixth, a leadoff walk. And then Manessis in that Nats two run eighth, a one out opposite field double off the right field wall. A really well struck ball. Again, like Abrams, Manessis needed that, needed a game like this, and he got it on Friday night.
1: That double, that's Joey Manessis. That's who we saw last year, able to drive a pitch the other way off the wall. It just kept carrying and rattled off the wall. So that's a great sign. And what he did also was he laid off pitches out of the zone. He's been chasing some here early on. I think opposing teams know he's maybe the guy they're supposed to fear in this lineup. So they're not going to give him a lot over the plate. And he's unfortunately taken the bait a few too many times. So those two walks in this game, I think were big because it showed he could stay back, have the patience, not chase pitches out of the zone. So a good night for him and and an encouraging sign that, you know, he's not all the way back yet, but those were the kind of at-bats we came to expect from him late last season.
0: No doubt. I mean, that was – August and September, Joey Meneses, who we saw uh, from last year on Friday night in this win at the Rockies. Every national starter had at least one hit, but the biggest damage actually came from the Nats' numbers seven, eight, and nine batters in this game. Lane Thomas, C.J. Abrams, and Victor Robles, a combined nine for 14. Not bad from the bottom of your lineup. And the specifics of what Thomas and Robles did to me are really interesting. So Lane Thomas, as a number seven batter, three for five with three singles. He did get picked off and thrown out on an attempted steal as the uh, Nationals' base-running woes did continue, although Victor Robles did have a stolen base. But Thomas also had an outfield assist. But Thomas, in this game, in the two-run second, a single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. Thomas, in the Nats, two-run fifth, a one-out opposite field single, into right field. Thomas in the top of the ninth leadoff single off the X-NAT Brad Hand, but then Hand picked off Thomas and he got caught stealing second base for the first out. But like I said, Thomas did have another outfield assist. He ended a Rockies one run fourth with an outfield assist throughout Elias Diaz uh, in his attempt to advance to third base on that RBI single by Yonatan Daza. And then Victor Robles in this game, he got on base four times, three for four, Three infield singles and a walk. That's a Victor Roble specialty, right? Three hits in a game. They're all infield hits. But hey, a hit is a hit. And to his credit, he's getting on base a lot so far this season. And he did steal second base in that Nats uh, two-run fifth. So a lot of production. Not all of it conventional, but a lot of production from the uh, bottom of the Nats lineup.
1: And I'll tell you what, they took full advantage of the Rockies infield defense, which was not good <laughs> at all. There was, I think, one official error on them in this game. They were the right calls because they were either well hit or they were in the hole or something like that. But the Rockies did not help themselves at all in the field. Several makeable plays that they did not make, the Nationals took advantage of that. And that's fine, especially for guys like Robles and Thomas and Abrams who have speed, make contact, put some pressure on the defense, and they, you know, they made the most of it. We're eight games in now and Victor Robles continues to do this on a nightly basis, playing good baseball, good quality at bats, playing smart baseball in the field on the bases. I'm going to keep saying that we're not there yet, but every day that he does it is a day closer to saying this may actually be legitimate and what a development that would be for this team. We've kind of written him off and we know, oh, there's a bunch of really talented outfield prospects on the way. And Robles is sort of a placeholder at this point. Well, he may still have something to say about that. He hasn't done it yet, long way to go. But through eight games, he has done everything that you would want to see from him, from a guy who's saying, hang on a second, I can still be this team's center fielder, not just now, but for years to come.
0: And I want to give Robles credit in this regard. One of the really disturbing things with him offensively in recent seasons, the extent to which he's made weak contact. He has not hit balls hard. He's had some doubles. He's had some of the cheapest doubles I've ever seen these last few years. Well, coming into this game on Friday night, Roblace's ex WOBA, his expected weighted on base average, which basically is like what is your quality of contact? 364. His ex WOBA for last season was 244. That is a massive jump. Now, obviously, small sample size for this season, but you know, he's not just, I mean, he did have the three infield singles on Friday night. But he is hitting balls harder, which is like a great sign with him. And so no doubt, you know, he kind of has been put in almost like not to the degree of Carter Keyboom, but kind of in that same bucket of, yeah, all right, he had one time was promising, but you know, we're kind of moving on from him you know, because of the NAT situation, he is being given ample opportunity to redeem himself. And may- maybe this ends up being a feel-good story. Who knows? It'd be awesome to see. I mean, I, you know, people would love to see it. You know, he almost lost another ball in the sky early in the game. Uh, and then he was able to sort of figure it out and make the catch. But he at one point with the ball in the air, like threw his hand up of like, I don't know where this is. So that seemingly still is an, is an issue, but it... Did not result uh, in a routine ball not being caught by him. So yeah, I mean, a lot of guys contributed in this game. Kibbert Ruiz, two for five with an RBI single and another single. Dominic Smith had a couple of hits in this game. And you mentioned Luis Garcia, two for four with two singles, leaves the game with a hamstring issue, but it does not appear to be serious.
1: That's the initial thought. Now, watching it live, it's he's trying to beat out a ground ball to end the inning. Inning is over. They go to commercial break, and all of a sudden you look out, and here comes Davey Martinez and Paul Lassard, their head trainer. And from the dugout, they're walking what looks like to me towards the mound. And I'm thinking, oh no, something happened with Mackenzie Gore as he's trying to warm up. No, they walked past him over to where Garcia was around the second base position, talked to him a little bit. The conversation didn't last long. He walked off the field. You saw the replay. He kind of grabs the hamstring. He sort of winces a little bit. After the game, Davey said,
0: yeah, his right hamstring tightened up on him. So, um, you know, we'll see how he feels tomorrow. He's, it'll probably be day to day, though. But he says he feels fine right now, so, but we'll, we'll see how he feels.
1: Luis in the clubhouse, I watched him, was walking around. I did not notice a limp from him, and he kind of gave the thumbs up. Like he said, he was feeling all right. So maybe they dodged a bullet here. You always have to be careful. Things, things can tighten up. We know from past history, things can sound like they're day to day, and the next thing you know, they're week to week. But it didn't sound like this is any sound the alarms. You know, place a phone call to Rochester and get somebody here as fast as you can. I don't think that's in the works at the moment.
0: You know, it's funny we are well into the season now in terms of a week plus. We have not once had the conversation about Luis Garcia's defense. And oh well, you know he's not making the root team play well, or he looks a little spotty, or you know he's not concentrating as as much as he should. You know all these things that have come up in recent seasons with him. He's playing a very nice second base for the Nationals. And he had a
1: very, re- a really nice play in this game. They almost turned a spectacular 4-6-3. C.J. Abrams just couldn't quite make the turn. But that I had the same thought at the moment. Like, boy, we haven't really noticed it, but that's a good thing. If we're not noticing Luis Garcia's defense, that means he's doing something right. It means he's making all the routine plays. And being at second base is better for him. Being paired up with C.J. Abrams, I think, is better for him because they're working in tandem. They both – play with more speed and aggressiveness. And I'll tell you what, I think the pitch clock is good for him. It doesn't give his mind time to wander. He's got to stay focused all the time because there's going to be another pitch within 15 seconds. That may be an underrated part of this. It's helping keep Luis Garcia engaged in the game. We know that's been his biggest issue. If he's fully immersed in it and focusing on every single pitch, I think he's going to be a very good second baseman for them.
0: Also saw a nice catch of a low throw from Mackenzie Gore by Dominic Smith. So some good stuff from the Nationals' infield defense in this game. That's bullpen in this game after Orasimo Ramirez's outing ended up being pretty good. Ramirez struggled. Bottom of the seventh got charged. With three runs, got just one out, began his outing by giving up three consecutive hits, two singles, and an RBI doubly. Did then induce an RBI ground out. Hunter Harvey then came into the game, got the final two outs in that Rockies, three-run seventh, but he, to the first battery phase, gave up an RBI single by Chris Bryant. But then Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth, and Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect bottom Of the ninth. This was kind of like redemption night for the Nationals. CJ Abrams got himself going. Joey Manessis got himself going. And, you know, you can't say for sure that Kyle Finnegan has fixed himself, but off a debacle of an outing earlier this week, good to see him pitch a perfect bottom of the ninth. And, you know, we know how it is at Coors Field. That was not a quote unquote save situation. But to me, 10-5 at Coors Field, that almost should count as a save, Kyle Finnegan doing as he did in that ninth inning. Because a five-run lead at Coors is like a three-run lead or a two-run lead in most other ballparks.
1: I was about to say the exact same thing. Don't let the score fool you. I think of that like it was a safe situation because of Coors Field and because of Finnegan. He needed that. And yeah, there's going to be some doubts when you take the mound three days after you had a meltdown like he did against the Rays. And the best thing he did, he came out – And struck out the first batter, Tovar, on three pitches. So there was no, oh no, this might go bad or "Eh, I could be in trouble again. Like He went right after him, strike out, a couple of ground balls, no drama at all. And I do think that was uh, significant for him. Doesn't mean he's cured, doesn't mean that what we saw in that last game or that what we saw at times this spring isn't reason to be concerned. But This wasn't just any old appearance for him. I think it was an important one because of what he had done last time, because of where this was. And yeah, I'm thinking five-run lead is not a five-run lead here. So for him just to shut it down, not even give them a whiff of a, a comeback there in the ninth, I do think that was important for Kyle.
0: And a guy who we talked about on the last show, Mason Thompson, I guess one of the downsides, if there is a downside to him being as effective as he is, is that when you throw multiple innings like he does you're probably not going to be seeing him used in back-to-back games all that often, right? Because you're not going to throw two or three innings in one game and then you know be back out there for the next game throwing an inning or two.
1: Right. And I did think in back my mind, I thought that Harvey, when he came in to get out of that inning and got through it on what, seven pitches, I thought they might bring him back for the eighth. The idea being you want a backup option for Finnegan. If he gets in trouble in the ninth, are you going to let him try to finish it? Or who else would you turn to? So once they go, Ramirez, Harvey, Edwards – Who's left? And like you said, you're probably not going to Mason Thompson after he threw multiple innings the day before. So I don't know what the fallback plan B would have been there. Fortunately, Finnegan made sure that wasn't necessary, but I'll be curious to see as they move forward, do they try to have anybody available for that situation or they just say, hey, he's our closer, sink or swim, we're going to let him try to do it.
0: Yeah. You very much though had – the feeling watching this game of like it ain't over yet you know this had that course Field feel and uh it ended up being one of those games but the Nats did win and they get their second win of this regular season you tell us what you think hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat you can email the podcast Natschatpodcast at gmail.com including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat podcast email Tim Shovers at Natschatpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on Instagram at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. A salute to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. And Newmark is spelled N-E-U-M-A-R-K. Nice to talk about a win. Maybe we get another one come Saturday night, we shall see. But for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
1: one on pitch house oh, hammers the ball. Center field it deep. the opening night. It is out of here. Off the manual scoreboard. Welcome back.